inviting, inclusive. Welcome to Brookside Community Church. Thanks, Karen. She uh, she said she said if uh, if uh, Paul had been uh, in English class in high school, he would have failed because all the do's. Um, it's actually a, quite a famous passage uh, from Romans. There, Romans seven is the "O wretched man of me, I am. Who can save me?" Uh, and uh, it's nice that Romans eight comes next. It says. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation. So it's a beautiful passage there. Um, our passage, uh, our second passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 30. Um, and to give you a little bit of context uh, to, before we read this, we uh, read a passage from Matthew 10 just before this. Jesus was sending out his disciples, telling them how horrible it was going to be for them. And... Uh, then there's a passage we are going to miss that I did back actually during Advent, uh, which was uh, when John the Baptist is questioning Jesus and saying, are you the one to come? This John the Baptist is in prison. And Jesus said, yes, I'm the one to come. Go back and tell John the Baptist all the things that you see, that the blind are able to see, that the poor are getting good news preached to them. And so um, now we have this passage. Hear now the word of our Lord, Matthew 11, verses 16 through 30. But what will I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another, We played a flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look! a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And then Jesus began to reproach the cities in which most of the deeds of power had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the deeds of power had been done in you, if the deeds of power that have been done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than, it, than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you'll be brought down to Hades. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, on that day of judgment... It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
What can I say except you're welcome? Does anybody know that song? Uh, it's summer, so I'll have to admit that um, my sermon preparation um, time over this past few weeks has been actually watching Disney movies and spending time with my uh, 14-month-old daughter, Joey. And she's not at the stage yet where she's running around singing Frozen songs. But you can imagine us as a family uh, singing this Maui song while Joey, Joey dances in circles with her little percussion instruments. What can I say except you're welcome? Uh, Maui's song is one of the songs from uh, last year's Disney movie uh, animation, Moana. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Um, I'll try not to spoil it too much for you this morning, but... Uh, it's going to be most of my sermon. I actually, uh, I actually texted Amy and I said, I've got a great idea. Let's do Moana this Christmas. And she said, oh, we can't do that. There's copyright issues. So, so, so you get a foretaste of what I would have done. Sorry. Moana is this young island girl who spends the first half of the story conflicted. Her father, who happens to be the chief, and her traditions and her people, they all want her to do one thing to be one thing, but she hears this calling from the ocean and a nudge from the town crazy lady, which happens to be her grandmother, to go out and do something else. She's conflicted. And when the island becomes sick and in danger, Moana discovers there are these ancient stories of her people. And these stories convince her that she should get on the boat and actually go and confront the god Maui, the demigod who had stolen the heart of Tefiti. And when she finds Maui, she begins to blame him for the devastation her island and her people are suffering from. And what does Maui say? What can I say except you're welcome? I'll admit I'm not much of a Disney fan. And those who really know me would be surprised that I'm using a Disney film as a sermon illustration. Get me in the corner sometime and I'll share more of why I dislike Disney. But I, I think there's a lot that church can learn from Moana. Like Moana, we're in need of discovering who we are. As a church, as individuals, even as human members of the earth community. Like Moana, we find ourselves in need of healing. And we should go back to our sacred text and its stories so that we can learn from it to tell our own stories and discover who we are. By the way, how many people have seen Moana? Let me just see. Really? Okay, so this is going to go over good. Yeah, so, so, so now you have to go and watch, watch Moana. This week's passage presents us with a paradox. Matthew has inserted a passage from the wisdom tradition here. So it's interesting if you look at the scholarship that people are confused because this passage does almost like seems to appear out of nowhere. And it comes from a tradition Matthew doesn't seem to really buy into a whole lot. Uh, John, maybe. But Matthew's not much of a Gnostic wisdom kind of guy. And here he's quoting this large passage that seems to exist in the wisdom tradition. Just here, he's inserting, Matthew is inserting in the voice of Jesus this passage that says, just after... The disciples have heard Jesus telling, him, telling them all the difficulties they're going to face going out. Jesus says, take up your cross to them. But now, he says, come unto me and you will find comfort. 
Now you can see why it's so important to read scriptures in their past, read the passages in their context. Because I bet you this morning you could hear this passage preached in any other congregation and you're not going to see it butted up right next to Jesus' call to go and take your cross. That's what was last week. There's something going on here. At this stage, the disciples have followed Jesus' instructions. They've come back and Jesus, John the Baptist, has been put in prison. And he sends messengers to ask Jesus, if this is what we're waiting for, why are we not seeing any results yet? But Jesus' response to him was, look at what's happening. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. That's what Jesus says. He responds to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, see, is waiting for a revolution to happen. John the Baptist had been preaching the reign of God had come and things were going to change, but now he's in prison. And he seems to think that maybe Jesus is playing games with him. You can almost hear John the Baptist say, where's this revolution at, Jesus? But Jesus' response to John was, I'm helping the hurting. I'm restoring the lost humanity of my people. That's where the revolution is. John the Baptist, see, he's not alone, though. I would say that a good, for a good deal of Christians, we would be surprised if Jesus were to walk in the door today. We would be surprised to hear what Jesus would have to say to us. Perhaps we would even be offended by Jesus' teachings and his understanding of what the kingdom of God is. Look at this long list of cities that Jesus rebuked. Woe to us if we think that it would be much different today. So, what do we make of this comfort cross paradox? Come to me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. I don't think that we would be hard-pressed to find a preacher who uses this passage to say, well, become a Christian and all your troubles are going to go away. Or perhaps they'll make it a bit more challenging and say, become a better Christian and all your troubles will go, go away. Or become a more pietist Christian and all your troubles will go away. Or even more, you might hear some preachers say that God is a righteous judge ready to punish all non-Christians while offering those who believe in God a rest. Maybe the rest is not for today, maybe it's for another time. All of these, I think, entirely miss the teachings of Jesus and the narrative that we have read thus far. Jesus did not say, become a Christian and I would make things easier for you. Indeed, we just heard him say to his disciples, follow me and it might get you killed. And John the Baptist, who Jesus spends a lot of language exonerating and saying that if you were looking for a faithful person, John the Baptist is the best of the best. And John the Baptist is if you read the story, going to get his head chopped off. To put it bluntly, the cross-comfort paradox is actually the result of poor reading habits and bad theology. When Jesus says, come unto me, he's actually offering to restore wholeness to those who have been broken by the world, by the way that the world is. As I suggested last week, what Jesus is offering is an end to the way that the world is by offering an alternative to the way that the world should be. He's initiating the rule of heaven by building a community of care that includes the excluded, 
that crosses boundaries, that touches bodies that are deemed to be untouchable, by exposing the power of death and subjugation, by telling oppressed people there's no reason to be afraid, but that they should, be, they should feel free to live into their God-given freedom. For Jesus' followers, he's offering to restore them to wholeness, to become who they truly are. And this is what will bring them rest. This is what brings them Sabbath, getting them in touch with the sacredness of life, allowing them to learn what it means to be truly human. And we'll talk more about Sabbath next week. Notice that that's the next passage that comes. It's not a coincidence that rest and Sabbath are butted next to each other. But this is all in response to the inquiry of John the Baptist, who, remembering, he's asking from prison, getting ready to get his head chopped off. Wholeness? Yes. Easy? No. But didn't Jesus say, you might ask, my yoke is easy? Well, no. I, I know, it's, it, it, pastors play this trick with, with words, right? So they go back and they look into the original passage and they try to get everything out. And most of the time, I'm not going to do that. But, but in certain times when the words actually matter, I do that. Here is one of those moments. Easy is not actually the right translation here. And any scholar from New Testament uh, language scholarship would, would tell you that. I've got several concordances in my office that have all the different places where the word uh, Christos is used. That's the word that's translated easy here. And you can see in both in Greek literature and in the New Testament, it doesn't make sense to translate it that way. The Greek word is Christos, and it used, it's used seven times in the New Testament. And when it's used in the writings of Paul, it's translated as kind. When it's used by Luke, it's translated as kind, but once it's translated as good. And I actually like that one. And this uh, verse from Luke, it's Luke 5.39, the word is used to refer to the way that good wine is the result of age. Christos is the kind of goodness that means fullness, flavorful, rich like goodness, like aged wine. In Plato's Republic, this word is used to describe, it's used multiple times, but it's used once to describe a friend who is someone who is worthy or honorable, Christos, worthy, honorable, flavorful, fullness. It's the character that results when a student, a pupil, receives good learning. So a student receives good learning and it produces in them this Christos. I would translate, scholars say there's not really any good English word, but I would say there are a few, like wholeness or nurturing or trustworthy or just plain goodness. Take my yoke upon me, for my yoke is wholeness. My yoke is nurturing. My yoke is life-giving. My yoke is good, not just easy. My yoke is wholeness. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, and I will help you learn to be human again. Thomas Merton said, There is in all things a hidden wholeness. Wholeness, this thing that Jesus, I'm suggesting, is offering to broken people who follow him, it's the opposite of a divided life. Jesus is offering restoration, the opposite of a wounded soul that keeps crying out for healing. 
So the divided life is what happens when we invest our time and our energy and our resources to things that don't honor the sacredness of the world around us. It's, it's where we're separated from who we really are, that the sacredness inside of us somehow or another is lost. As Parker Palmer puts it, the invitation to wholeness is actually the call to live integral lives, to achieve the complex integration that spans the contradictions between inner and outer reality, that supports both personal integrity and common good. It's not easy. Rather, it's the work of offering what is sacred within us for the life of the world. Wholeness finding what's sacred in us and offering it to the life of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come to me and rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Here's my question this morning. When we read the sacred text, these stories that we have in this book of ours about Jesus, what does it teach us about the character of God? What does it teach us about ourselves? What does it teach us about the nature and the character of creation? When I hear Jesus saying in this passage, come unto me, I hear him calling us back to Genesis. If you remember back a while back, I was asking you at the beginning, if you were asked what is the gospel, what would you say? For me, I say that there's this sacredness at the heart of creation that's just begging to be uncovered and told. And at the heart of creation, there's this deep connection between fulfillment and rest. That's why Sabbath is a part of the creation story. The crown of creation is rest. The claim here is that we don't rest because we don't have rest because we don't know who we are. And that's, see, what Jesus is offering. Our gospel challenge for today is this. Where are people in our community hurting? in need of restoration? In what ways can we hear our community, our nation, even creation around us, longing to be restored, to be made whole? Is there some sacredness in us that maybe holds the secret to be able to respond to them, to offer ourselves for the life of the world? That's my challenge this morning. Come unto me and I will give you rest. Is there some sacredness in us that Jesus is saying, Come unto me, my yoke will give you wholeness. Now, I don't want to give too much away about the movie. Obviously, you haven't seen it. But despite having been heard the reproach from her father, the chief, what Moana decides to do is to listen to this voice inside of her and to get on a boat and go and confront Maui. And they journey together to go and, you hear this, restore the heart of Tafiti. At some point, you might hear me use that at some point. Is the, they're on the boat, and she says, I am Moana, and I am going to restore the heart of Tafiti. What she discovers, though, is that there's something sacred inside of her that allows her to confront the greatest danger of all, this monster Teka. By discovering who she is, she's able to restore the heart of creation that has been stolen. This island that has turned into danger now gets healed, and all of creation is healed. And the nastiness that's happening on her island is healed, but even more than that, it all stems from her finding out who she is. 
Today's passage from Jesus says, Come to me. I want to interpret to you the words of Jesus. I heard the voice of Jesus say through the words of Moana, the closing song. Here's the closing song from Moana. I have crossed the horizon to find you. I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you, but this does not define you. This is not who you are. I know who you are. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you will stand, and we're actually going to sing uh, Jesus' words together. It's in the insert there. I heard the voice of Jesus say...